the Operations Leadership Podcast with Gautam Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation, and organizational leadership. The following is an interview with Katri Kalpi. Katri is an associate professor at the Alto School of Business in the Department of Logistics and Supply Chain Management. She has done quite a bit of research on the topic of sustainable supply chains. And in this interview, we talk more about the topic. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, Katri. How are you? I'm good, Kautam. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for joining us on the Operations Leadership Podcast. So you've uh, done quite a bit of research in sustainable supply chain management, which seems to be a very relevant topic among operations leaders. Yeah, I've done some research, particularly my own research has been more on the social sustainability and and I've done a lot of teaching and obviously for that you do a lot of research to to get the background. So I've I've been teaching this topic both for for large master's uh, uh, student courses and and, uh, in in various different modules in our executive education programs because there seems to be more more and more kind of demand for this this kind of uh, yeah, topics. Yeah, very popular topic uh, and also quite relevant. So maybe I can start out by asking you um, sustainability. So sustainability is a, it's a fairly broad topic and has multiple dimensions. Um, carbon emissions, air pollution, child labor, deforestation, water shortages, worker and health safety issues, and of course, climate change. So how should operations leaders think about the sustainability challenge? Well, I, you know, obviously the, the classical ways that the triple bottom line, the environmental, social and economic performance. And, and I think it's, it's very important to really think of it at, at a whole kind of supply chain level and, and all these things uh, interlinked and, and your kind of supply chain upstream and downstream towards your customers. If we think of, you know, things where we need to be heading towards like circular economy to reduce kind of, you know, use of virgin materials and reduce, you know, things we dump on on dump sites and and reduce emissions and and transportation, then it really requires this sort of wholesome view. You know, no one can do circular economy on their own. It's it's not a one company thing. It's, you know, by definition in the name, it's it's economy. So I think we really need to think of this in in a sort of wholesome way that kind of different parties, different industries together seeing how we can reduce emissions, how we can reduce material uh, usage. I mean, th- there are statistics that we're currently using two and a half of planet resources per year, and this is projected to go to four planets a year by 2050. And well, obviously we can all do the math that it's not mm. not really doable. So I, I think it's it's kind of this sort of material usage, emissions, how we tie that into kind of circular economy solutions. And then, in, in, you know, increasingly as, as well or not increasingly, but increasingly important is to keep in mind the social sustainability issues. Because I think they have, you know, perhaps they, you know, the isolated scandals come, come in, into kind of discussions all the time, but perhaps mostly it's dominated by the, you know, climate change and these environmental issues. But we also need to think of the, the social dimensions. So, uh, forced uh, forced labor child mm-hmm. labor uh, worker health and safety i mean some of these things are in in finland they're so kind of you know worker health and safety you know we kind of you know our society and and laws cover it but it's sure. you know if if your supply chains extend around the globe then this is 
this release and the issue. And, and there are, you know, again, here legislation coming. I mean, EU is, yeah. uh, is about to pass this, uh, in, I, I think, next year, this sort of human rights due diligence that will put a lot of pressure on, on companies to also start really mm. thinking, doing, reporting, measuring these issues in their supply chains. So sure, need sure. to think of it at a, at a big scale. And, it, and it's such a broad issue. I mean, you touched upon it, the social aspect, the environmental aspect. So if I, if someone is a uh, COO or vice president of supply chain or global operations, is there any, do you have any advice on how to prioritize these issues or should you just kind of try to boil the ocean? Do you have any advice on that? Well, I mean, you know, idealistically, I'd love to say kind of do it all, but I'm, you know, while one could say that the topic I teach is idealistic sustainable supply chain management, I mean, it's it's, it's the thing, right thing that we need to do. I also kind of realized I, I take a pragmatic approach to it that I realize that companies are resource constrained. And, and while it would be great to tell them, you know, fix all these things at once, then obviously it's 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 not going to happen. And, and you need to pick your resources wisely. And I think I'm not sure if there's like a generic everyone should prioritize prioritize this or that because it, it it depends a lot on where are you making the the biggest negative impact right. currently with your operations and and obviously also where can you kind of resource wise make the the best positive impact you know qu- quickly mm-hmm. particularly if we're talking of emissions then we need you know we we've all seen the the ticking clock in in terms yes. of how quickly we need to need to react so i think it's important that for example companies do some you know we already have you know companies starting to do it at least on a kind of theoretical level this from secondary data these emissions that give you already some indication of of where your hotspots are and then sure. moving to actual more kind of real time measurements but i think it's you know, companies should do these kind of emissions calculations and, and then prioritize where the hotspots are and also where you can make your most influence. I mean, as a supply chain manager, you also need to think like, you know, your power position mm. where I have a, as, a, as a buyer leverage to leverage, influence yeah. my suppliers, exactly. whereas in, in some areas while I, you know, I see that there's a lot of problems if if you're you're a small buyer and you're reliant on that particular supplier with the patent then you know Becomes contractual uh, contractual mechanisms sure. and, and negotiation power isn't you know where where you should prioritize but perhaps then kind of some industry level initiatives where you can change on, on a broad scale whereas where you're the big buyer and you know a lot of transportation emissions going on then do use that power in terms of how you select suppliers how you select sure. third party logistics service providers etc yeah, and you touched upon emissions. So, uh, again, the big one is around this uh, Paris Agreement on Climate Change in 2015. So there was this ambitious target to reduce and reduce carbon emissions. And I recently read a part, report on the customer uh, consumer products goods industry, or CPG, and it stated that there would require a 90% reduction in carbon intensity. Uh, and... That would be between 2015 to 2050. So we're already in that phase. So how, how do you think we're doing on that goal? And if you look at, for example, the consumer products, goods industry, taking a specific sector? Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think in, in general kind of emissions, I'm not sure if we always know that well how companies are doing because if, if you look at kind of what your standard measurement um, kind of criteria that is used is, is typically stating kind of you know measures in at you know scope one and scope two kind right. of your own operations and, and 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 that whereas there are studies that say if, uh 
the scope three, meaning the supply chain emissions mm-hmm. are five and a half times on average than your own operations emissions. So we don't necessarily always know how we're doing, but I, I think particularly in, in the consumer goods industry, there has been a lot kind of like using more electrical vehicles for, for these deliveries. I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of increased <laughs> home mm-hmm. deliveries with, with the COVID pandemic. And and, and um, one company that I've, I've re- read quite a lot that on, on their website at least kind of tells a, a lot about what they're doing is, is Tesco, for example, in the UK. Tesco, right. And and I was, they had very, you know, they're reporting very ambitious targets and, and, and kind of saying in, in terms of supply chain. And I was reading with interest like you know how are they doing this supply chain wise and I was actually surprised there that they've gotten quite far in terms of their ambitious targets simply by this sort of more an asset management approach right. in in terms of changing uh, kind of lighting fixtures in warehouses and stores and and kind of like your know, refrigerating fixtures and 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 this kind of the, the physical assets and and obviously it's a very kind of in, in that sense, warehousing, in intensive industry, fast-moving consumer goods, you have a lot of both in, in store and in, in, in different kind of transit. So I think it, it's encouraging what I saw from that example that, that simply by these kind of, you know, LED lighting and different kind of, you know, uh, less kind of waste energy emitting refrigerating solutions in, in stores and whatnot that they could do already quite a lot. So I think... I think there are a lot of low-hanging fruits still sure. to be picked, but obviously, then to reach that that final goal will will require, you know. It's it's interesting this uh, Tesco's asset management, uh, you know, kind of approach to this. I think that's that's quite good. And and you you touched upon it a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of the supply chain perspective, and and so you know, can you tell a little bit more about this scope one, scope two, and scope three? Because you know, uh, I think one of the things from a supply chain perspective, as it's inner organizational, and specifically among the leadership perspective, you know, how to how to go about implementing these sustainability initiatives within and across companies. So maybe the scope one, scope two, scope three thing is interesting. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, um, so scope one is, is the sort of the, the from your own operations. And I guess there, obviously, it's always easier that, you know, your own asset management that you could think of the, let's say, very practical warehousing solutions. We have a lot of things that companies can do. I mean, many companies are very good at this, but then we also have, you know, if you look at globally and, and if you have warehouses in multiple countries, then then probably not at kind of the same level as we are, for example, in in Finland, the things you can do with with the sort of the the building, like segregating dispatch areas to avoid losing heat or or or, uh, you know, cold, cold air, whatever is is the uh, temperature that you're storing and, and kind of optimizing warehouse temperatures, depending on how how strenuous is the physical activity and all this sort of lead lighting and using natural lighting and and um, uh, solar panels on, on roofs. So there's a lot of things that can be done with this. And obviously, if you have your own trucking fleet, then vehicle loading solutions and, and there's, you know, different kind of optimization softwares that now take into account not just the, the kind of the cost and emissions. And usually these tend to provide win-win solutions that when you're optimizing for emissions, you know, usually it's the, you know, shortest routes and, you know, sure. fully, fully loaded trucks. So it's, it's, it's not a kind of, you know, an economic burden, but also a a cost benefit. So these these kind of things that uh, that that you can do, for example. Sure, sure. And and speaking about the 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 kind of economic burden or let's say synergy, um, you know, going back to the let's say this Paris Agreement, there there was this goal, and it has been estimated that there's roughly around a thousand U.S. dollars 
uh, of revenue that might be required to reduce the overall target for this uh, CO2 emission. So I guess a, a fundamental question is who, who will ultimately pay for this? Would that be the focal company within the supply chain? Would that be the suppliers, the third-party service providers, or customers even, you know, pass through to the customers? How, how, how do you see that? Hmm. Well, I, I think some of it depends on the power relations in, in, in the supply chain. I mean, you know, probably towards customers, there will be some pricing pressures, but obviously, you know, many markets, let's say, in fast-moving consumer goods are, are highly competitive, you know, mature markets, so there isn't that much you can pu- push towards customers. I mean, I, I believe there are still some low-hanging fruits that companies can do, uh, you know, get to a certain extent by, you know, uh, these win-win solutions where, mm-hmm. where you're kind of optimizing your logistics and warehouses and, and, and all this from a kind of environmental and, and cost perspective that it doesn't necessarily incur costs, but obviously at, at cer- you know, the, the closer you get to the goal, it, it gets more difficult sure. to, uh, to, to do that. So I think there, um, potentially kind of, you know, uh, investments in, in technology can help. And, and perhaps the more companies that start to take up these new, you know, technological innovations, then the costs will, uh, eventually come down. Okay. But I, I, I think it will be, well, Depending on the power relations in in the supply chain, who who can you sc- sure. squeeze with the the profits from? Yeah, and, and you know that, that kind of leads to the next question and around, you know, do you find any interesting innovations that have come out of, let's say, tackling sustainability issues? Uh, one that comes to mind is maybe this whole operating model of circular economy in the food industry, for example. So, are there any other kind of let's say? innovations that may have come directly or indirectly out of, let's say, tackling a sustainability problem or issue? Uh, well, yeah, obviously with, with the techni- technical um, innovations, I'm perhaps not the best expert. I mean, I, I think there are small scale, like I've, I've read from Patagonia that they ha- have put in some investments in these sort of new kind of um, techniques for, for yarns and different kind of things that are uh, that make the product more sustainable and they are <coughs> encouraging they're very open kind of trying to get others then to they're not kind of sh- shielding the innovation but rather right. encouraging others to adopt because they see that the cost of that new technology will go down for them as well sure. as, as it starts to to scale I, I think we have some small scale and, and kind of starting you know new business models and obviously if, if you look at clothing we have um you know this used clothing emu right. and recki and, and all sure. these kind of online services that are are you know hugely growing and and uh, projected to grow a, a lot a lot in in the future years and then there are these sort of examples of where the innovation isn't necessarily on in the technical side, but in in the um, in the business model, the, that business the pricing model. pricing yeah. model, like yes. things like uh, Philips, I, I, at least in US, I've read that they sell this sort of light as a service to cities mm. where they'll fit the city's light bulbs with you know LED lighting that uh, adjust to natural lighting, and then basically they're paid by the savings that they cr- can sure. create. And, and Michelin sells tires as a service uh, right. for, for like trucking companies or. or or others where, you know, obviously then there's an incentive to make it long-lasting product and you own it so you get it easily back at the end of the the product life cycle. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so then it's, you know, circular economy is, is, is quick and easy and you have the materials uh, there. And, and I, I think, you know, obviously 
technical innovation. We need that a lot in in in, in a lot sure. of these sort of emission sure. factors. But I also think, particularly for supply chain leaders, obviously who are mostly often perhaps from a manager background rather than the technical engineer, I think this sort of business and pricing model innovation sure. is what they need to be thinking about because to to really get the circular economy models going, you need to think how am I you know how am I getting the products back. Or, or the materials and sure. components back and, you know, how, how's the information flow, how's the product flow going to work, how am I incentivizing those, you know, downstream from me in the supply chain to get the materials back to me. I mean, we have a great example in, in Finland and other European countries where, like, bottles and cans, it's 95% or something, this this sort of recycling, recycling rate. Yeah. And that's because we have the incentive, the you know, incentive, you get the, exactly. the couple of cents back. Because yeah. in, in countries where they don't have that monetary incentive, the recycling rates are significant, you know, several tens of percentages lower than they are in Finland and, and other countries. So while, you know, that particular operating model of an individual consumer getting getting back might not work, but I, I think it speaks of the power of the incentive that, yes. we, you know, thinking of this, how can we turn the our pricing models so that it isn't kind of paid by each new product and, and thus incentivizing us to sell and use more, but how could we create these circular economy solutions? What can, what can we do with our business models and, sure. and pricing to be... Attractive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, innovation, as you mentioned, doesn't have to be, let's say, digital technologies, but can actually be innovations in the in the business model. And you brought up a very good point around incentives. So, you know, do these folks that are, you know, operating these kind of businesses, do they purposefully, do you think, uh, design incentives purposely to take into account, for example, sustainability. Do you see a, that as the future in terms of when you're, let's say the new startups that are happening or even established businesses that have been around for a long time. I mean, you mentioned the Philips case, it's basically taking a, a traditional products-based manufacturing company and then deploying it as a service where they're going to have recurring revenues and predictable kind of cash flows moving forward. So it's kind of actually very, very, very smart. And so do you think companies, organizations that in the future or even now they'll, they'll purposely design these incentives so they can incentivize, let's say, customers to kind of afterlife, you know, at the end of product life cycle? you know, deal with this? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, whether it's originally kind of started as, as this kind of for environmental sustainability or, or not, I mean, we've had servitization research, this this particularly, this kind of, you know, increasing revenue streams. I think it it might have in many cases originated more from a business perspective, but I think it's, it's one of uh, key enablers that we can also get the circular economy once, uh, go, you know, solutions going. And for that, there might be, you know, increasingly a legislative push that companies need to make it happen. Right. And then they need to make it happen with their partners and they need to make it happen cost uh, efficiently. And I think for that, they need to then start thinking of these, these new ways that you can incentivize. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of logistics in, in sure. involved as, as well. But I, I, I do think the the incentives uh, along with kind of different types of standardizations that mm -hmm. are needed so that you can kind of you know reuse the products and materials but but yeah it's got to be designed yeah, in, in, yeah. In, in into from from the scratch exactly exactly and you you talked about a little bit regarding the kind of legislation and the and the, the maybe the regulation and compliance type stuff so are is there a global standard for sustainability measures and metrics cuz kind of looking through you know the 
literature and reading articles around the topic. I'm not by no means an expert, but it seems like there's many different standards. So uh, what's your take on that? Do you think there'll be we're moving to one global standard or, uh, you know, regional at least? Um, I don't know if we are yet kind of very far in, in moving there. I, I do hope because I think for for all kind of, you know, for the you know leaders themselves, for, for different kind of stakeholders, it's important. I mean, as a leader, if, if you have metrics that you can't compare against anyone, then how do you, you know, <laughs> how do you know if you're doing well, well or not? And, and kind of for, for consumers, for, for investors, because I, I mean, with um, with the sustainable supply chain management uh, course that I teach my master students as the end project, I have students look at uh, sustainability reports of Finnish uh, companies, and mm-hmm. you know I I ask them to reflect on what we've taught in in the course and and what are the companies doing well, and and one of the typical feedbacks that they provide of the sustainability report is that they would have hoped for some more tangible metrics, like maybe mm-hmm. there was a you know some qualitative ones, or maybe there was two years worth of data, but then there's no reference point, so they can't really tell is this company doing well or not and I, I think that's you know there are a lot of art, articles over the past year that find two to three thousand different metrics on sustainable supply chain management that's so that's a lot I mean we have kind of like we have different standards like the GRI but that's more from a corporate not a supply chain perspective so it, it's it's not kind of geared for sustainable supply chain measurement and then you know in supply chain most people will know the score Score, uh, yeah. metrics and there is an extension the green score but again yeah. it's not the green is, isn't as comprehensive as the other elements and it doesn't really cover then social sustainability aspects and there's this um, e- e- ESG standards and the World Economic Forum had this they tried to provide this set of you know common indicators that right. they're, they're into again this sort of you know uh, measurement similarity they have this measuring stakeholder capitalism but I, I had a look at those you know, just before coming in, and uh, again, they're more in the internal operations. Like, okay. for example, in terms of emissions, the what they instruct is for all relevant greenhouse gases reporting metric tons of you know carbon dioxide, scope one and scope two, estimate and report upstream and downstream. So scope three where appropriate. So it's this kind of you know right. additional kind of side of if sure. you can, but we, you know. If those are six times more than your scope one, then what's the, what's ki- the point? Ki- ki- yeah. kind of point? And, yeah. and similar issues with with the other metrics that, for most of them, there was no mention of supply chain level, or if it was, it was this sort of add-on of estimate, if possible, and sure. and, and appropriate. Well, so, it's very difficult, yeah. right? I mean, if you look from a supply chain perspective, because you have to have the transparency and the visibility of the of the uh, of the information, uh, but do you feel that uh, based on all these kind of uh, reporting that we are moving gradually towards a more standardized approach? You mentioned the World Economic Forum and and some of the initiatives that are being pushed through. I guess it was the big four. Uh, accounting houses that were kind of pushing yeah, that through. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, I think we are, because I think companies have, you know, also from, from talks and teaching that ev- everyone is struggling with this measurement, mm-hmm. that they're trying to, you know, figure out what the best metrics are and, and they want to use them better better to lead. And if you want to use them to lead, you need to really sure. uh, compare and need a, need a supply chain-wide metric. So I, I think it, it's going there, but it, it's, obviously, it's obviously going to take time. And I, I always in, encourage kind of, you know, to have cross-industry talks, like talk with 
with leaders from other industries and, and share these best practices best and what practices, works, what yeah. doesn't work with the with the metrics. But but also, you know, I do realize that getting supply chain wide metrics on sustainability is is a challenge because very often you don't yet have the full visibility and traceability yes. to your supply chain. But if we could at least let's say get tier one already in into the scope and then work towards Work. tier two and tier yeah, three exactly. and yeah. tier n <laughs> yeah tier n <laughs> exactly. in many cases yeah. exactly and you touched upon you know some of the the uh, the t- topic of best practices so could you kind of enlighten us i mean are there any best practices companies examples that are really proficient at sustainable supply chain management that come to mind uh well um I think Patagonia is often used, and I've used it as, as a student case. I, I think they're very much trying, kind of, it's it's in the strategy and in terms of you know educating consumers. They're very much kind of emphasizing on innovation, then trying to kind of lead the industry to adopt those innovations for for, for sustainability benefit, but also for their own kind of cost benefit. Uh, so that that would be an, an example. I I think. Uh, in in uh, in Finland, I just heard a presentation by S Group, and and it seems they're doing a lot of their own kind of research to really kind of uh, get to the bottom of of the understand the issues and 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 start working from there in 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 terms of uh, sustainability in in different you know uh, quite a large variety of of pr- product categories and. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are many, many good ones. I mean, obviously, Finland Neste has been uh, awarded yep. many, many times on on different uh, different awards. But yeah, right. I, I I thought the Tesco approach was kind of you know they had quite a lot of good in uh, good designs there. Yeah. I mean, it, just by with the asset management, but also you know practical things like um, they had. Um, well, in in the UK, you can sell wine <laughs> at, at supermarkets. So they and they had their own brands wines that they imported, for example, from um, South America. And they used to, because in UK, glass bottle recycling rate is nowhere near where right. it is in Finland. So that's a huge kind of emissions that if if they're kind of uh, dumped. So what they did was they rather than import it in glass bottles to UK, they imported imported in bulk and only bottle it in the UK. So thinner. Right. Um, Glass bottles, less piece of materials, less wasted, and and kind of brokeage during during transit, and and all these sure. kind of you know uh, kind of you know customization point moved in the supply chain to be able to save in packaging materials and and right. and all sorts of costs as well. No, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, great, and maybe maybe as a final question, I mean, what is your kind of advice or guidance to companies that are kind of exploring? sustainability and maybe interested in, 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 you know, pursuing the sustainability or tackling the sustainability challenges. What is your kind of, you know, advice? What are some practical things in terms of methods, tools, resources that they can use to actually embed this kind of change in their own organizations? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think some sort of measurements let's say with emissions and there are a lot of kind of these publicly available guides like the the pass uh no i forgot the num- number but in, in any way these sort of uh, metrics that you can use and kind of secondary data sources that you can you can try to evaluate the emissions with with some good pilots um i i think overall what i what i tend to you know different things that i tend to emphasize one is visibility i mean you need to get a bit more visibility into your supply chain that's also i mean we've talked perhaps a bit more here on the environmental issues but particularly with social sustainability issues that where you know that your supply chains extend to developing countries then 
getting more visibility and traceability in, in, into actually where the products are, are coming from and starting to, to work um, uh, work on, on the issues. Visibility, uh, visibility yeah. and traceability, that, yeah. that is... Uh, that's something very interesting because, yeah, it's. Uh, I know there's some blockchain solutions around chain of custody that yeah. go into the supply sources. I know, for example, in the coffee industry and even the chocolate industry, yeah. uh, confectionery, that they kind of look at those uh, raw material sources that they're not uh, utilizing any child labor or any conflict minerals or what have you raw materials so i think that's also an example yeah yeah i, I think blockchain I, I think blockchain solves the traceability issue that you can know for sure where sure. where it's coming from I, I still think it leaves some of the visibility issues that while you know it's coming from it doesn't provide that you know it's still relying on then audits or or something which are which are snapshots so i think right. they're kind of in, in terms of visibility there, there isn't a solution yet in terms of full visibility, but uh, but I think blockchain is the first one because in, in many global supply chains, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of statistics over the past few years, not just relating to sustainability, like with the COVID pandemic and all those risks that, you know, tend to only 10 to 30 percent of, of supply chain managers have a visibility, visibility. PR tier one. Exactly. And, and blockchain can certainly bring that kind of traceability that Trace you at least know where it's coming from. Then it's you'll still need additional do tools to verify that in in those places that you now know it's coming from. That is it. Is it always, you know, 365 days a year, yep. <laughs> sustainable practices? But I, you know, certainly blockchain can help with that. Sure. First, I mean, you, you first just need to know where it's where exactly. it's coming from. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Katri, for uh, enlightening us on sustainable supply chain management, and I hope uh, the listeners got some good insights and advice around how to embed sustainability within their own operations. So thanks again for your Thank time. Thank you for having me. All right. That's it for this week's Operations Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.